Leviticus chapter 17. Leviticus 17 is connected to chapter 16 in many ways as we continue to talk about the atonement. And, uh, and tonight we're going to see it's all about the blood, the atoning blood. Uh, remember the atonement means to cover uh, when they came and sacrificed at the temple or at the tabernacle at the time uh, they brought the animals to uh, to be sacrificed and the sprinkling of the blood there in the mercy seat uh, was for the covering of the sins of the, his people the nation of Israel and that's all that could happen at that point in time. Sins were not cleansed completely. They were just covered for that period of time. And they would have to come periodically each and every day or throughout the day. And, and of course, uh, Yom Kippur or the Day of Atonement will only happen once a year. And that Day of Atonement signified, not again, not a cleansing of the sin, but a covering because sin could not be cleansed without the offering just purely for based on a bull's blood or purely on a ram or a goat or a lamb. They are, again, the only covered. The only way a cleansing could happen, and it can only be cleansed by the blood of a perfect man, and that is Jesus Christ, our Savior. Remember, the only price for sin that God will accept is blood. There is no other type of sacrifice you can make that will cause a covering or a cleansing of any sin. In this case, the complete cleansing has to be by blood, for the blood is in the life of the creature. That is where life is. Um, remember, long before medical science discovered the significance of the circulatory system of a human being or of an animal, that we understood, they didn't understand what we understand because of science and discoveries and the wisdom that God had given man and woman to be able to discover so many things. And that through the circulatory system and to be able to now look at the human body and how it's run and realize how important and how life-sustaining blood is. And, and again, so many times we go, isn't that amazing how science discovered this? But if you know the scriptures, God already told us, and we'll see it tonight, that life was in the blood. We already knew this way back when the scripture was given to, to, to Moses to write down. God had already said that the, there was life in the blood, and the blood was very important. And when a sacrifice was offered and its blood was shed, it meant the giving of a life for the life of another. That's the sanctity of blood. The innocent victim died in the place of a guilty man. That is what we're going, we've been studying and talking about and will continue to talk about, especially tonight, about the blood. Now, we should respect all life. All life should be respected and not treat the blood as something common, like it's no big deal. It's just blood, no big deal. No, God says there's life in that blood. And so throughout Scripture, it's the blood that makes the atonement, that allows us to be one-ment with God. And any theology, anything or anyone who teaches, uh, even today, if anyone teaches or ignores or minimizes the blood, isn't founded on the Word of God. 
That'd be false teaching if they minimize the blood. And many churches today do not teach about the shed of blood, Jesus' blood. They avoid any conversation about sacrifice of the blood of Jesus Christ. They just don't want to talk about it because it's not a, a, a feel-good kind of topic on a Sunday or, or any time in the church. You, know, you can go read that on your own, but we're not going to teach that because we don't want to offend anyone about the, 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 the you know, your sins have to be given and by your sins sins to be forgiven someone had to die and give their life their blood for you people don't want to hear that oh i don't want no one needs to do that for me well no god says you will not be forgiven if it's not by covering of the blood and so someone has to be sacrificed and jesus christ came for that purpose and we will not ignore what the scripture says or minimize it and so tonight we see here in leviticus chapter 17 verse 1 we see the, the fact that it, we're starting a new section of the book here, uh, is, and it's always indicated and typically introduced, as we will see, the Lord said to Moses. When you see that, it's almost a whole other topic that we're going to talk about. So the next four chapters, you're going to see that very clearly. So here in chapter 17, the Lord says, or speaks to Aaron to his sons, right? The Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron his and his, to his sons and to all the children of Israel and say to them, this is the thing which the Lord has commanded. So again, this is not something you are as a suggestion. This is not something you should not think about it. And if you feel like it, oh great. If you don't, you don't have to do it. It's just, it may, it's a good thing to know. No, this is a commandment. This is not negotiable. You must do. That is what God is telling Moses to tell the people. Saying, and, or to specifically to Aaron and his sons, because they were the spiritual leaders uh, for the people. In verse 3, whatever man of the of the man, Whatever man of the house of Israel who kills an ox or lamb or goat in the camp or who kills it outside the camp and does not bring it to the door of the tabernacle of meeting to offer an offering to the Lord before the tabernacle of the Lord, the guilt of bloodshed shall be imputed. That means what is imputed, that means it's going to be assigned or attributed to them. So that's a heavy weight to carry you don't want, right? Will be imputed to that man. He has shed blood and that man shall be cut off from among his people. So this is not something God is just playing around here. He says there is great consequences if you don't do these things. You just cannot go out there. And the Jews had to understand this. And we must understand this, right? The Jews didn't eat a great deal of meat in these days. They were not meat eaters in these days because it was absolutely costly to them to slaughter one of their animals. Understand that. They didn't go to the find your favorite butcher and say, can you rip up and, you know, another cow for me and just fill the freezer? That wasn't, that's not how it worked in these days, right? So you had, you, you were, when you decided to kill one of your animals, which is not that many, many did not have a lot. 
This was a tremendous sacrifice that they were doing. And you just could not kill any of your animals and then keep it to yourself. You had to follow the direction what the Lord says here. And you had to bring it to the door of the tabernacle of meeting and, and offer it to the Lord because it was a sacrifice. It was in, absolutely important in regards to the, the value of the blood of that animal that was slaughtered for the purpose. And when they slaughtered the animal for food, it had to be brought to the altar and presented as a fellowship or what we referred to in the previous teachings, a peace offering to the Lord. Why? Well, the first reason is that this law kept the people from secretly offering sacrifices to idols out, out there in the fields because that was the going thing in the presence of the surrounding pagan world. Remember, they came out of the pagan world of Egypt. They were used to being around the pagans and all kinds of things happening. And they're going into the desert. They're going into the promised land. All of these things, God had to keep some boundaries, safe boundaries for his people. Because if he didn't put good, solid boundaries, then his people have a tendency to start mixing with or doing what the pagans or the fallen, unbelieving people do. And that's still true today. God gives us boundaries. Healthy boundaries so that we do not have the tendency to get mixed up with the unbelieving world and get mixed up into the world and the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, these things. God gives us boundaries. And so he had to sit there because he understood the pagan world at the time. He understood how it was customary to offer sacrifice wherever one pleased. Altars were built all over the place, as we know historically in the scriptures, on mountaintop experiences. Or they built an altar on the, the, the beautiful forestry or on the oceans because the ocean was the place I could get in touch with the Lord, you know, with my, uh, my idol, my God. So it's nothing new under the sun, is it? People all the time, oh, I need to have this peace. I want to go back. I'm going to the mountains this week. Oh, I need to have more peace. I'm going to the ocean this week. I, oh, I, I'm going to, I need peace. I'm going to go to my mountain retreat and get into my little retreat place because that's where I can meet with my God. Be very careful when you have your, put the presence to be able to spend time with God based on a geographical location. The second reason is that this law dignified ordinary meals and made them a sacred experience. It was not just a piece of meat because we always eat meat. Of course, every guy needs meat. And it's no big deal. It's just meat, right? But not then. Back then, it was an absolute sacrifice and a, a delicacy or a very special meal if you actually had meat during that period of time. These, these people just came out of eating manna. <laughs> manna day in and day out. And remember, in the desert. That's how God sustained them. And now they're able to eat meat. This is a, this is a, I mean, a special meal. Now the guilt of the bloodshed shall be imputed. Again, assigned or attributed to the man. This lazy attitude that God knew that man could have when it came to sacrificing and the covering of the, the blood of uh, or worshiping God or a form of worship of God. There is this lazy attitude toward the place of sacrifice was not fine with God. 
that you can take or leave. I'm going to worship God? Ah, maybe or maybe not. It doesn't matter to me where I'm at. It doesn't, no big deal. I can worship anywhere. And that wasn't fine for God here, as you can see. That now as a centralized place of worship that God has established there at the tabernacle, that is where his people were to come and to worship together as a people, as a congregation. It was important that they they could not forsake the fellowship. They must come together for fellowship here. And it was not done just out in the field or done at your house like no big deal. And I'll stay at home today because I don't feel like going to the tabernacle. God said that's not how it works. You're going to follow my draft because you cannot just worship God however you want to do And so this centralized place, it was the Israelites were not allowed to offer sacrifice any way they pleased. They had to come to the tabernacle and have their sacrifice administered by the priest at that time. If they disobey, they would then what? Be cut off from among the people. They were exiled from the community of the religious community of gathering together to worship. I mean, that was a serious mode here. This is not something you just mess around with where you go, oh, yeah, fellowship today. And, you know, they'll, who cares if, you know, a month from now I'll come back and join again and to the tabernacle and fellowship again. Well, you know, we had other important things to do, you know. That's not how it worked. And God made it very clear because there's a consequence. You would be cut off. Now, this command runs completely contrary to our, our, uh, to our way of life here in uh, most people you know, come to God in, uh, in, in, in our own way, in our own culture, as they would say. Our culture's different, and, and our modern world is characterized differently than back in those days. And, and uh, we have a very individualistic kind of mentality today in our culture. What's, what do I want to do? What am I going to do? How I do I want to do this? It's always about I, I, I. Not very much on the we side. If it is, it's usually probably one or two or three people. Now, what God sees is we as being the body of Christ. We are being as a congregation. That is how God sees things. But in today's culture, we don't see it that way. We think we can create our own rules about dealing with God as we see, as we see how we want to deal with God. And whatever we want to do, we can kind of turn it on and turn it off. But that's not, that's not scriptural. It's not scriptural at all. And that's why we continue here in verse 5. We say, To the end that the children of Israel may bring their sacrifices, which they offer in the open field, that they may bring them to the Lord at the door of the tabernacle, tabernacle of meeting, to the priests, and offer them a peace offering to the Lord. Verse 6. And the priests shall sprinkle the blood on the altar of the, of the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of meeting, and burn the fat for a sweet aroma to the Lord. Verse 7, they shall no more offer their sacrifices to demons. That's a, that's a little underlined moment in your Bible. They shall not, no more offer their sacrifices to demons after whom they have played the harlot. They shall be a statue forever for them throughout their generations. Verse 8, Also you shall say to them, whatever man of the house of Israel or of the strangers who dwell among you, who offers a burnt offering or sacrifice and does not bring it to the door of the tabernacle of meeting to offer it to the Lord, that man shall be cut off among his people. 
Again, we see right here in the very beginning, there was a spiritual reality they must deal with as the Lord speaks to them about how they are to worship and sacrifice to God. They were to a spiritual reality behind these pagan gods, but the reality was really demonic. And that's what God is saying here. You, if you sit there and try to think, you can just come to me at the tabernacle when you want to, or when you decide to sacrifice out in the field or at home, away from the tabernacle, and you don't bring it properly the way I've, I've, I've outlined clearly to you and is communicated to you through Aaron and his sons, and you don't come with your sacrifice and the blood being sprinkled on your behalf or to the Lord, then what you're doing, he says, very clearly in the scripture in verse 7, you're absolutely worshiping demons or demonic forces when you do it your own way. That's what he's saying. That's really, really heavy. Can you imagine? Moses, tell Aaron, Aaron and his sons, to go tell the people, if you don't bring your sacrifices here, you're literally like the pagan world. You're worshiping demonic forces. Demons. You're sacrificing to demons. You're playing the harlot. You're being played. You're being used by the demonic forces. And your life is going to be miserable in so many ways. But first of all, because of that attitude, because you think you can do whatever you think you can do and not follow and be obedient to what I'm asking you to do, then you will be cut off among my people. You're not going to fellowship in here. Because you can be misled or led by the demonic forces you've been worshiping. Now that's a pretty heavy deal here. Because in Ezekiel chapter 20 tells us that when the Israelites were in Egypt for 400 years, they were involved in idolatry. And therefore, because God the Father knows the tendency of his people to fall into heresy and or to paganism, which would lead to idolatry. He says very clearly, I want all sacrifices to be made at the tabernacle. That was what needed to be done. Now, many times people will hear the teaching of the Old Testament and they'll say, but we're under the New Covenant. What does the New Testament say to that? Well, I'm going to answer that question because I know someone has that question. I'll give you 2 Corinthians chapter, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 20 and 21, and I will read what Paul says very clearly and warns us as believers, essentially saying the exact same thing as what this scripture tells us. And it says, rather that the things with the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to have fellowship with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and then the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the Lord's table and the table of demons. He's saying you can't just worship God however you want to. You can say one moment, saying, I'm coming to the communion table. I'm taking communion. I'm coming at the Lord's table. And then the next minute say, I'm going out there and I'm going to sacrifice and live however I want to in the world. You're basically one day saying, I want to be in the presence of God. The next day, I don't want to go to church. I don't care about the congregation of the church of the people. I'm just going to sacrifice or live for God and worship God however I want to. 
you're, you're nothing like Paul's saying here. Be very careful in your attitude because you'll be playing and acting like the rest of the Gentiles or non-believers that are out there who are not truly born again. They maybe have Christianity. They may have this form of Christianity where those who are saying, Lord, Lord, but they don't know the Lord. They say they're Christians, but they're really not born again. They've just been in a form of religiosity. All these warnings we see in the scriptures is what we're talking, Paul's talking about here. Be very careful how and what you think you're doing here. Do you really worshiping God? And we worship God every day, all day. It's not just a certain day, not at a certain place. Don't get me, don't get me wrong here. We can worship God. We should worship God throughout the days. But to, do, but to say that you don't have to fellowship, you don't have to be around God's people, be very careful in what you think you can or cannot do. Many people today, I'm a Christian, born again, I'm going to heaven, but they do not do anything shows any indication at all in their life that they are actually born again. They live just like the world. Living in habitual sin, living however they want to live, doing whatever they want to do, and they still think they have this false sense of security that they're, they've got, they're saved. Well, we know the scriptures. If you're in habitual sin, you can't call yourself a Christian. You can't do it. You can, but it's not helpful for you. You're living, you've been, you've been deceived by Satan, demonic forces that you are out there having a great time with. You've been deceived. Don't be deceived. We have, to, we have to live to please God. And that's what that's really all about. God says, you, you need to please me. Bring your sacrifices to the priests, so there's a sprinkling of the blood to cover the sins. It's a peace offering. This is what I ask you. That's what pleases me. That's what the Lord says you must do. As God's people, what do you do? You want to please God. So as the scripture shows you how do you please God, then you need to be obedient to what the, God, the word of God says and how we worship God. There's a sense in which all worship that is not directed to God is directed to the devil and his demons. That's the, probably the summary sentence for you based on our, that conversation. If there's a sense in which all worship is not directed to God and God alone, then you are absolutely moving it and you're worshiping the devil or his de demonic forces. And what will happen? A man sh will shall be cut off from among his people. The demonic background to sacrifice justified the severe punishment of that person who is in open idolatry to be cut off from the people. Do you understand that? God wasn't messing around. This wasn't Moses' rule. This wasn't Aaron's rules. These were not Aaron's son's rules. This is God's word being told to the people. There are consequences with you living in idolatry. You'll be cut off. You'll be cut off. Because the, God is addressing the issue of an attitude or a mindset in God's people that could not continue. It happened for 400 years. Now God has their attention. They're following God. They needed to understand you have to change. 
When you lived in the world, you lived in idolatry, you worshiped false gods, now you're now under the authority of God here. You are no longer to live like you used to live. You have to have a changed life. Are you with me? The tendency is to say that the tabernacle is too confining. That's too limited. A few of us gather together to worship at my tent or out in the field or when we go hunting and we kill something, we'll do our own little worship out there and sacrifice because we, all, we got a great big deer and we were on that deer stand for so many hours and we're worshiping God. Yes, we are out there, but we've got that, that, that 10 point deer and we're going to worship us guys together. Oh yeah, you are. I'm sure you are. Yeah, 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 yeah. But that's the mentality. It's limited at the tabernacle. I can worship uh, wherever I want to be. Well, God said, that's no, that's not what I, 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 you can't change what I just told you to do. I told you you had to bring your sacrifice to the, the temple or to the tabernacle. Some would say we're all spiritual. We need, we, who needs priests? Can't we all ha- offer sacrifice ourselves? God says right here, no. You couldn't do it at that point in time. You could not do that. There are those today who think they can worship God without going to church. Scripture is very clear. Don't forsake the fellowship of of God's people. They would say, I have my God time. And is when I am hiking is when I have my God time. Or when I'm hunting, I have my God time. Or I am at the river or lake, that's when I have my God time. Or when I climb to the top of the mountain and, and go from peak to peak every weekend. That's my God time. That's the best time. That's my sanctuary. Why should I go into some restricted hot building and isn't God the God of creation so I can worship Him wherever I'm going to be? And you hear those kinds of things. But these verses reveals God's heart concerning the way we want to worship him. Or or how he wants us to worship him. Not because he's stuffy. Not because he is restrictive. Not because he knows what will, uh, you know, steal your fun and joy in your life to live your life. No, God just knows the nature of his people. And he understands he has to have boundaries, healthy boundaries for his people there that are surrounded by pagans in that desert and going into the promised land. He understood that he had to protect his people. And practically. Because one of the things we have noticed, being in the ministry, over the years you will notice even not only me as a pastor, but you being a Christian for a while, if you just take note of people who are in the fellowship and fellowshipping in churches, and they got saved, they were on fire for the Lord, they were coming every all the time and looking to, to be around the fellowship and to learn and to grow and to run, and they were asking questions and they were growing. And then... The challenge is about six months to a year into, they've got an understanding now. They understand that there are 66 books. And they understand, they've, I've gone out there, they've been reading quite a bit, and they've been learning and asking lots of questions. they got the things, they seem to get a good 
regular routine going on. And what happens? Sadly, what happens is there's this tendency that I think I know enough now that I don't need to go to church on a regular basis. I don't need to be reading the Word of God on a regular basis. I don't need to be asking questions and growing and maturing in my understanding and, my, and deepening my faith. I'm good. I'm, I'm comfortable with where I'm at. I'm not living the old lifestyle like I used to be. I'm doing pretty good. So now I get to find that balance now. Do I really, you know, God, I can worship God wherever I want to be. And that's true. You should. You should be praying without ceasing, talking to him constantly. You don't go through a pastor like you, they back in the day. You had to go to the priest. You don't go through the pastor for approvals and guidance and, and bring your sacrifices. You don't do that. Jesus is our Lamb of God who t- took away the sins of the Lord. He is our great high priest. We go to him directly. We don't go through man to do these things. I got that. But there's still value in God's people gathering together in his name. Where two or more gather in his name, God in his presence is right there with you. And what happens is while you're gathering together, you are, there's going to be there's this, this, this natural, what we, I call friction that happens. Is when you're around people, you're getting refined of who you are in Christ. I won't use the word, uh, uh, you know, you can rub people wrong in, the, in a wrong way or they can rub you in a wrong way in your time of fellowship because that's, that's not very un-COVID kind of conversation to have. We keep our distance, right? But you know what I'm talking about. We're talking about spiritually you get around other people and some people are a little more porky pinish than, and, than you would really care for. There are, some are very unloving even though they call themselves a Christian because they're aware of where they're at in their, in their relationship. They're very, very, very bold with their words that can be very cutting at times because they've got an attitude that's not right with the Lord and it comes across. But God uses that fellowship to refine us, to rub out the very rough edges and cutting edges in our life. Through fellowship. That is how part of the development we have in growing and maturing in our relationship with Christ. You will never get that in your house sitting in your, in your comfy chair. Or by yourself on the top of the mountain. Or in your deer stand by yourself. You're not going to get that same kind of refinement by being around God's people. And so I, I think the Lord is very clear how important it is it, not to have a sh- selfish perspective that says, I just want what is comfortable for me and I don't want to deal with people. Well, that's not how God works. God really wants to use people in your life and use you in other people's lives to help them as the Lord uses your gift or gifts, spiritual gifts he's given you, to help each other. And I think it's very, very important we do not lose sight of that, especially in the days of electronics or technology. Don't get me wrong. There's many people that are unable 
physically unable to get out. And I love the fact there's technology. And I love the fact that people are from all over different states and around the world that are chiming in that just want to be part and they want to learn and grow because maybe they don't have a fellowship where they're at, a healthy fellowship that they can plug into. Uh, but, and it's temporary for them until they can find or they're healthy to be able to get back out the door. Especially with, during COVID. I mean, we're all online. We couldn't gather together the first couple of months until we went online and stuff. So, again, I'm not saying technology is all bad. I'm just saying just make sure we don't have an attitude that says we don't have to be around God's people. I think we're missing out on much of what God wants us to do in the interaction, the fellowship, and seeking God together and, and, and allow God to to use people's testimonies of what God's doing in and through their lives to encourage you in your own walk with the Lord. It's really important that we hear and watch and see what God's doing in people's lives. In verse 10, we see that, uh, that whatever man of the house of Israel or the strangers who dwell among you who eats any blood, I will set my face against that person who eats blood and will cut him off from among his people. In verse 11, very important, circle it in your Bibles. For the life of the flesh is in the blood. And I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. Therefore I said to the children of Israel, no one among you shall eat blood, nor shall any stranger who dwells among you eat blood. So God is saying again here, very clearly, you are not to partake of blood. And if you have strangers who are happen to be in your area, you happen to see who these are, you must educate these strangers who happen to be dwelling in the, in the area. You must tell them you are not to do that. You cannot be around us if you're going to do these kinds of things. Blood is not an option for you to take. You cannot take that piece of meat and say, I want it rare and I want to see the blood still on my plate. That is not going to happen in my, 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 my people and my congregation. Do you understand that? Now, some of us are like, give me the rawness, right? We want to admit it rare, and it's the best way to eat it. That would not be a conversation, even as a stranger there among the Jews, you would not be able to partake of that. That, that, was, that would not happen. So this strict commandment from God, I will set my face against the person who eats blood. Now that statement alone should, should scare you. It, should, it would scare the people. I'm going to set my face against you if you do this. Woo. You don't want God coming against you. You do not. And this strict commandment, but the reason was very simple. He gives it to him. I'm going to tell you why I'm going to put my face against you if you do this. For the life of the flesh is in the blood. The idea was that all life belonged to God. And since blood is a symbol of life, especially it belonged to God. And you didn't have a say on this. God has chosen. God has chosen sacrificial blood as the ransom price for a person's life. That's what he chose. And so the life of a substitute is given up in death. 
That is how it works. That is the design from the beginning, ultimately fulfilled in the life of Jesus Christ. That means, therefore, to refrain from eating blood is to show respect for its sacredness as a vehicle of atonement. The blood is sacred for the atonement for a person. And you don't mess with that. The fact that God said, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. God has chosen the blood as a fitting symbol of the reality of atonement and forgiveness. And there is no other way. The blood's atoning value was only because God had given it for this purpose. Therefore, therefore, to eat blood was to profane it. It wasn't a simple, no big deal. You're profaning God if you went against the sacred or the sanctity of blood. And again, the penalty for violating this prohibition of touch, or, you know, partaking of the blood was what? Was to be cut off from his people. Now remember, he's communicating to his people in those days who are surrounded by pagans who partake of blood in their normal day. Their normal worship of their false idols. They, these are, this is celebrated by drinking the blood. But he says, absolutely not. You will be separated from the world. You will do not do what the world does. And that is, if you do, you'll be cut off. If the animal was to be killed because it's a sacrifice, it had to be properly butchered so there was no blood in that meat. None. If it got killed and it was out in the field, it had to be completely, as we will see, drained properly. History shows that those nations, those pagan nations that were circling and constantly coming against his people who lived on blood was very fierce, savage, and barbarians. Go back and read about the Scythians historically. These were barbaric, bloodthirsty men, and that was what we saw in the nations of pagan worshipers who worshiped and partake of blood. They were savages. Why? Because they were worshiping the devil. They were worshiping demonic forces in doing what they were doing. And guess what was empowering them to do what they did and why they came against God's people. And so because the blood is sacred, the Orthodox Jews, as they do this today, was exceedingly careful not to eat any meat that had any blood that was not properly drained and every drop of blood gone. Now, I will bring in something very significant if you have not put this together. We see it in the New Testament. Here's what they were raised up. This is what they were taught. This is what they were to do generation upon generation upon generation. Now this rabbi from Nazareth comes on the scene. And he's walking and teaching things 
that were going against in the face of what people were hearing, they immediately thought this rabbi, or who we call Jesus of Nazareth, we see in John 6, verse 53, teaches something that would have shocked the people, and it did shock the people. He says to them, and he had a tremendous audacity, as they would say, says, most assuredly I say to you, this is Jesus speaking, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Imagine that statement. You're taught your whole life you are not to drink a drop of blood. And here is Jesus teaching what? If you don't eat of this flesh, if you don't drink the blood, you will not have any life. Wow. When he taught that, what happened? I'll tell you what happened. We see in John 6, 66, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. They were fine as, as long as they were giving him, Jesus was giving, healing them and was giving them food and doing and saying all these things and with the anticipation that he was going to be their king to overthrow the Roman Empire, they were all into it. But when they challenged him and they did not understand what Jesus was about to tell them, they immediately brought him back to this teaching in Leviticus that says, do not touch a blood. Don't touch a drop of blood. And he says, well, if you don't eat this flesh of the Son of Man, if you don't drink the blood, you won't have any life. And they said, absolutely, I'm going against you and we're not going to walk with you any longer. Now, if you go back and you read that, what happened right after that? He turns to who? Peter? And to the disciples? Are you guys going to leave too? <laughs> Peter had a great response. Do you remember? Where am I going to go? You're the son of man. You're the Messiah. You're God. Why would we leave? And even then, all of them, they didn't understand it. Why? Because Jesus was talking about a spiritual thing that was going to take place that we celebrate through communion. We take a symbol, a piece of bread that re represents what? His body. We take this little cup that's full of juice and we drink it, which represents what? My blood. And it's, it's his body that was sacrificed on the cross. It was his blood that was spilled on the cross that gives what? You and I life. Eternal life. But they didn't get it. But we get it. We understand. Because we have hindsight, don't we? We can see the connections from what God was teaching and his is the playing this out and it would come to fruition in real time through his son on the cross and dying for the sin of the world. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world and whoever believes in him will shall not perish but have everlasting Life. Life is in the blood. And it was Jesus' blood that gives us that life. Verse 13. And whatever 
Man of the children of Israel or of the strangers who dwell among you, who hunts and catches any animal or bird that may be eaten, he shall pour out its blood and cover it with dust. For it is the life of all flesh. Its blood sustains its life. Therefore I said to the children of Israel, you shall not eat the blood of any flesh, for the life of all flesh is its blood. Whoever eats it shall be cut off. Now we see here, if they're out there and they are hunting, they catch an animal, and they need to properly bleed it out, they needed to, they didn't have a regular butcher there to take care of it and make sure it's done properly, but if they did it, they needed to see the sanctity of that blood, and they needed to not just spill it out anywhere, but you needed to cover it with dust. And you, Why? Because it's a hygienic thing that they had, that God was watching, but it, most importantly, it was the honoring of the blood of that animal that was sacrificed for that life, for the life of the people to eat, but also to, uh, to properly give a peace offering. And it's through this respect for blood of animals should make us consider how we regard the blood of Jesus. And that's always the connection. How is this connected Jesus? Because under the old, old covenant, the blood of animals was to be respected. So the precious blood of Jesus in the new covenant must be respected. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 29 says... Oh, how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing and insulted it by the Spirit of Christ? Again, it is very important. You go back, and we're going to be studying Hebrews starting uh, Sunday. I'm excited about the book of Hebrews. I'm very excited. I hope, hope you guys are excited as much as I am. It's, it's my favorite book. I can't wait. It's, it's really a great book. I, can't, I hope you read ahead in Hebrews. But spiritually, we know that just as our own blood keeps us alive temporarily, our blood that pumps through us keeps us alive temporarily. You lose too much blood, then you lose what? You ever heard the saying? Oh, he's bleeding out. He's losing, his blood is leaving his body. His, 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 blood, his life is draining what? From him. You ever heard those terms? It was, it's really true, right? <laughs> the blood is important to, for this body to operate. That's how God designed it. But the shed of blood of the Lamb of God Gives us what? Eternal life. Isn't that a beautiful thing? It's because the life of the flesh is in the blood. And Jesus gave his blood so that we could have this eternal life that he promises us. And lastly here, verse 15 and 16. And every person who eats what died naturally or what was torn by beasts whether he is a native of your own of your own country or a stranger he shall both wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening then he shall be clean but if he does not wash them or bathe his body then he shall bear his guilt so if if one came upon an animal as you're walking through the wilderness, and that had died naturally, 
or was something like a modern, what I would, we would refer to as roadkill. <laughs> we come across the roadkill. One could eat it because good meat shouldn't go to waste. But once they ate it, they needed to wash their clothes and they needed to bathe. They needed to make sure they did not contract any kind of a disease from that animal or any form like that. But they needed to say be ceremonial. They were considered ceremonially unclean. They just couldn't go right back in the family or go back to the tabernacle. They needed to make sure they stayed washed and until the evening till they're all clear and make sure there was nothing uh, enough air and kept them clean and, and aired out so that they didn't cause any problems. Now, to summary, to, believers today need to appreciate the importance of the precious blood of Jesus Christ. We see that in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 19. And through his blood, what took place for you and I? We were justified, Romans 5, 9. By his blood, we were redeemed, Ephesians 1, 7. By his blood, we were brought near to God. We see that in Ephesians 2.13. And by his blood, it wasn't our sins weren't just covered. They were what? Cleansed. Completely washed away. We see that in 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. And as a church... Not only the church here at Calvary Chapel, but the church body, God's church across the universe. The church was purchased by the blood of Christ and therefore is very precious to God. We see that noted in Acts chapter 20, verse 28.